welcome to menopause the good the bad and the downright sweaty <laughs> hello everyone so, this morning i challenged diane we were on a phone call just now and i challenged diane to use that voice to introduce our podcast <laughs> i'm very excited that she accepted the challenge we're in a silly mood today <laughs> we are in a silly mood it's a sunday morning and we've just been giggling non-stop pretty much <laughs> so hello from us everybody and we hope this brightens your morning <laughs> we hope so little rays of sunshine that we are <laughs> we're not always rays of sunshine though so far we no and i'm pretty sure if everyone saw my face right now they'd be like goodness gracious i look like miss trunchbull from matilda this morning oh bless you no you don't you <laughs> always look lovely but you do you do have a good reason, Soph, don't you, not to have been 100% a ray of sunshine over the past few weeks? Yeah, I, I feel like my implants aren't working this time. Um, I didn't realise that it was possible that they couldn't work, um, but I've since found out that then sometimes they just, your body just doesn't accept them. Um, and I'm having a blood test tomorrow to find out what's going on. So, um, so for anybody that for anybody that's never listened to our podcasts before, surely that can't be true. But, <laughs> <laughs> but for anybody that's never listened before, lovely, can you just very briefly say what your implants are and why you have them? Yeah. So I'm on estrogen and testosterone implants that are popped into my stomach every six months. Um, the implants are a fourth line menopause treatment. So they'd be for women who have like complex menopause issues. Um, and in my case, I tried Estrogel, Everell, um, Estradot, tablets, and my body just did not respond well to them. Um, quite often with the transdermal HRTs, I just wasn't absorbing them. Um, or I was erratically absorbing them, which would kind of send me off on this huge emotional roller coaster um, so the implants have really really worked for me and they've given me a consistent dose of estrogen and testosterone it's helped so me feel well you're 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 in premature menopause aren't you because of having had a surgical menopause so it's not it's not unusual is it for women of your age and in a surgical menopause to have implants no, it is more definitely more common in younger women. Um, so I I was in went into surgical menopause age thirty two and mm -hmm. I'm thirty four now. Yeah. Um, and this is I'd say this is the first time I felt that my implants haven't worked. Yeah. Um, and it's completely taken me by surprise mm. because usually after I have them, I just feel myself kind of elevate and I just feel like me again. Um, I feel more energised, my cognitive function kind of goes back to normal and I actually become a champion multitasker usually after <laughs> having my implants. Like, honestly, I can juggle so many balls in the air, it's ridiculous. Um, and I just feel like I get myself back. And this time I've had the implants and kind of waited, you know, it's been six weeks now since I had them. Yeah, you had and you had a you had quite a quite a wait this time as well, Soph, didn't you? For to actually have your implants. 
yeah, due to COVID-19, the implant clinics were cancelled. Um, and thankfully, they decided at the last minute to run one clinic. And I was given the last appointment to have the implant put in, which I felt uber lucky for. Um, Do you feel that could have had an effect, Soph? Or just don't know? I'm not sure. Part of me just thinks, was there something wrong with the actual implant that's been put in? Because I'd say I can... I do feel like my testosterone has increased a bit. Right. Um, I can feel a little undercurrent of that. Yeah. But it's, I definitely work best when my estrogen is higher. And that's what I feel that hasn't happened because I'm having hot flushes. Um, I'm really, really forgetful and I kind of feel like I've just woken up from like a general anesthesia a lot of the time. Mm. Um, and you've sounded I mean we've spoken a, a good few times in the last couple of weeks and you've sounded almost as if you're either going to start a cold or if you've had a cold don't you you sound quite chesty and quite nasal yeah and I, I feel like constantly on the brink of something and that always happens when my implants run out that I tend to pick up colds or I just feel really under the weather and run down mm. um, and that's how I've been since having my implant and usually um, after having it as well my skin is really radiant and glowing my yep. hair feels thicker and glossy it's really interesting actually to see the transformation of yeah kind of pre-implant to post where within two weeks you can just kind of see that mm. I'm I guess like glowing from the inside yep. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And this this time it's just not that not case happened. at all. Like I've for work, I start work at seven o'clock every day, and oh my god, I'm like the Grinch dragging myself out of bed. <laughs> <The Grinch>. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm working from home, so I only have to go. My office my office is next door to my bedroom, so I have to kind of walk a few meters. But my goodness, I drag myself there. Do you? Um, yeah, and. You know, I was really put out on Friday because I had a conference call at eight o'clock in the morning, which meant I had to get dressed. I was outraged. <laughs> Do you usually just wander across in your pajamas? Oh yeah, I, I I had an issue with my PC a few weeks ago, and IT decided to video call me, and I hadn't realised. And I was sat there in my dressing gown, and we haven't. Said Sophie, I just wanted to say, what a fetching dressing gown you have on. <laughs> that I've never jumped quite so quick practically threw my laptop across the room ah um, the joys of video calls eh <laughs> yeah, I mean whoever invented them goodness me <laughs> but it's just really frustrating that you kind of and I know from speaking to a few of my menopause friends who also have implants that because we generally all have our appointments cancelled a couple of times before yeah. actually having the implant put in you pin your hopes on having it and just feeling better and having yep. a good few months of mm. feeling good mm. and when that doesn't happen I just feel like beside myself and also thinking well what kind of fight am I going to have now if my blood test shown that it's not worked mm. to be able to have another one yeah and oh it's yet another battle that we have to deal with and face yeah. Yeah, because getting to the point of having the implants in the first place was difficult and yeah. I got to the most desperately sad place mm. before I was given this treatment you know I was absolutely felt completely helpless yeah 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens if my blood tests come back and show that it's not working. Um, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't even know what to do right now. I guess I'd just ring my consultant and say, help. Yeah. But whether I can get that Where help. Where do we go from here? Well, there's a shortage issue with the implant. There's definitely a supply and demand problem going on. Yeah. Um, I know there's no testosterone implants in the country at the moment. Mm. So it's just, I'm sure you can really relate to this and anyone that's been impacted by the recent HRT shortages that you just think, why is it so difficult constantly? Which leads on really to me asking you about (laughs) the very exciting news for the Menopause Support Network. Yeah. Tell us what's been going on. Okay, so... So for anybody, again, for anybody that's never listened in, I think we kind of take it for granted now that people are listening in on a regular basis. But um, for anybody that's never listened in, um, when I started Menopause Support, which was essentially the sort of name for that I picked for the website, menopausesupport.co.uk, Um, I guess it was kind of what I really wanted to be able to access when I was at my worst, which was somebody that I could sit down and talk with about my experience and to find out how they could help me move forward. But it was also a place for um, being able to access factual evidence based information. It was a place where I could find out you know, sort of um, be signposted to different resources, et cetera, et cetera. And essentially, I started that, I think I started that about four years ago, and then set up the Menopause Support Network, which obviously is the Facebook group where we have nearly 15,000 members now. And then in October 2018, started the Make Menopause Matter um, campaign, Um, But I have essentially, um, long story short, is that I have essentially run out of hours in the day for my day job, um, for my menopause support work, for supporting my team that look after the network and for expanding the campaign efforts. So... I decided, I think it was probably back at Christmas, I decided that I was either going to have to stop completely because essentially I was knackered or I was going to have to do something that um, meant that we could expand. But obviously everything that's sort of everything that's happened so far, the campaigning, the website, Um, everything that's sort of been set up has been funded by me personally and as well as running out of time I also can no longer afford to fund anything bigger or better than what we currently have so as I say it was either stop or we need to rethink this So I decided that the way to go forward would be to set menopause support up as a not-for-profit organisation. So essentially um, a community interest company. So the the kind of the, the point of doing that is because I can still continue to offer support services 
to individual women. We can still offer support services and training to businesses and organisations. We can now apply for funding, um, both from the community, so asking the community to chip in, but also we can apply for funding pots. And I have absolutely no experience of any of this, but, you know, sometimes you just have to leap. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, A leap of faith. Exactly. So um, one of my tutors called it, um, what was it? Um, oh, it was something about jumping, but not having a parachute. And that's kind of what it feels like. <laughs> so um, essentially what I have done is I have asked two um, lovely women who um, are equally as passionate as I am and more importantly, have some time to be able to devote. Um, and that is Jane Lewis, the author of Me and My Menopausal Vagina, and um, the lovely Andrea Swan. So Andrea um, has been one of the moderators of my group and actually approached me some time ago and said, if I can offer more support and do more, then I would like to. Um so I approached them and said, look, I'm thinking of starting up this organisation. Essentially, not for profit means that anything, any profits that we make will go back into trying to improve menopause care, menopause education, menopause support, menopause resources, blah, blah, blah. Um, are you with me? And they both, without having to even think about it, said yes, straight off which is amazing and unsurprising um, might I add because it's an incredible thing to be part of and to do <laughs> so we have so I have now formally with the help of my um lovely accountant who I'm sure tears her hair out every time <laughs> I say Claire <laughs> um, she she has very much helped me to get through the paperwork that's included in setting up a community interest company because it's not just as simple as setting up a company. You also have to be registered with the CIC regulator and they are quite tough on regulations, etc., which is a really good thing because... Um, it's important that organisations that say they are not for profit are genuinely not for profit. Um, so that was really why we wanted to do it like that. Um, so that has allowed us to set up our first community fundraiser, which I launched two weeks ago um, with a very ambitious target of £50,000, which sounds like an enormous amount of money. But when you look at the challenges that we face is a drop in the ocean, but mm -hmm. it would be a very significant drop in the ocean for us to start to get to work on some of the projects that we would like to do. So, you know, we've it's been running two weeks and I think so far we have raised about six and a half thousand pounds, which is pretty good 
in two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we will. So as I said, we've got we've got nearly 15,000 members on the group. Um, so I am hoping that all the lovely people on the group who have described it as a lifeline and a lifesaver will feel that they are able to chip in a fiver. Um, Which is cheaper than a coffee and a cake at Costa, I have to say. Yeah, and I think the thing is, you know, if everybody did chip in a fiver, um, we would smash our target to pieces. (laughs) Yeah, well, that would be like, what's 62 and a half thousand or something? Uh, We've got 15,000, I think it's 75 grand. So I think, you know, we would we would smash it to pieces. It would be absolutely amazing. Um, you know, we have had some very generous donations. You know, there is there are a handful of people who have donated 100 pounds, which is just I've been so humbled by that. Um, but, you know, it's called a community interest company because it's about the community pulling together and pushing and calling and raising their voices for change. And I don't get me wrong, Soph, I recognise that everybody does not want to do what I do. You know, everybody doesn't want to go and lobby politicians and write to politicians and harangue royal colleges and, you know, spend every waking moment thinking or talking about menopause. I totally get that. But, you know, we are here to offering to be the voice of the community, but we need community support to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's either, as I say, that's either via individuals. Um, We will be if anybody's listening and, you know, you work for a business or an organisation that would like to have some menopause awareness training. We do that, too. Um, If you work for a business or organisation that has some kind of community fund um, where they look at using some of their profits to fund community interest organisations, then please do stick us under their noses um, because menopause is going to affect a lot of their staff too. Um, And then, as I say, we will be reaching out to foundations, to organisations. We did have a really, really good conversation with the National Lottery um, just before COVID. And they were really positive and really encouraging about us applying for their community fund, which is £10,000. And then COVID hit. And I've now had a message to an email to say that for the foreseeable future, all national lottery funding will be going to COVID projects. Oh, which, oh no. That's just... So you know, I totally understand it. You know, yeah. um, who could ever have, who could ever have thought that this might happen? But you know what? If we all chip in a little bit, um, it will make the most enormous difference. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at doing is, you know, we're looking at gaining community support to be able to run some of the projects that we want to run. And the idea of running those projects is to make sure that there is more education, information, advice and support for women and their partners, but also to ensure that 
those women get access to more of the care that they deserve. Um, so, you know, sort of we're really looking to tackle these problems from the ground up, mm-hmm. but that needs time and it needs money. And as I say, you know, the um, the platform is there, um, but we also want to be able to drive the campaign forward too, because that's really important. You know, for us to make a for us to make a nationwide difference, that's going to mean achieving the other two aims of the campaign, which is menopause guidance in every workplace and mandatory menopause education for all our GPs. Um, and those things, you know, I've done a post on Instagram this morning, um, and the first page of the post says it's not rocket science and it's really not rocket science. This is really common sense stuff that will save the NHS money. I mean, I did some research the other day and a GP appointment, the average cost of a GP appointment is 30 pounds. We have women on the group and I know you so went backwards and forwards to your doctor many, many, many times off the top of my head. I think it's 19. Yeah, that's right. So the average cost of a GP appointment is £30. So £570 was spent on or that was the cost of you having to go backwards and forwards 19 times. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you'd have gone back and seen a GP who understood surgical menopause, you would probably have gone back two or three times. And it would have saved them a lot of money and me a lot of stress. Yeah, and it's absolutely lovely. And if you think about it, so I did a survey. So this, well, it's a poll. It's not really a survey. I did a poll on the group and I think we had about 600 answers. And I asked how many times women had been backwards and forwards to the GP on average. And on average, it was six to eight times to deal with symptoms. So you think how many times that's being replicated around the country. And then you save millions. (laughs) You think about how much GP time that's taking up, how much and GPs always saying that, you know, they're struggling for appointments. I get it. But imagine how much NHS money that would save that could be sent spent perhaps on life-saving drugs or life-saving surgery you know it's not difficult and more importantly than all of that imagine how much distress could have been saved for the women involved and their families well you've got a huge amount of women that you posted about recently that are having to take like get credit cards or borrow money just to be able to go to a private menopause clinic because they are not getting the help that they need from their GP. No. mm, They're being pushed to complete desperation, aren't they? Yeah. And I mean, that was that, that post really, that was real frustration. That was because I had, I had counseled two separate women during the week in a, in a single week Um, one who had, she's actually, she has actually, for the first time, she has actually taken out a credit card so that she can put the fee on the credit card. And she freely admits that she probably can't afford to pay that back. So sad. 
And then there was another one who has gone into her overdraft. Yeah, well, I went into mine, didn't I, to do my private menopause. Exactly, lovely. Because I'd had to take unpaid leave off work because I was in such a mess. And it was the worst possible time to have to spend, I think it was £200 my appointment, yeah. Um, to spend that money, I, I, money I didn't have, but I felt at the time I had no other choice. And um, my, you know, my opinion about this is that as far as private care is concerned, if you are fortunate enough to be able to consider private care and that is your if that's your first choice and you can afford it, all power to you. But what's happening now is that because of the woeful lack of menopause education for healthcare professionals, and I don't just mean GPs, I mean all healthcare professionals, um, what's happening is women are being driven to the point where they have no choice. So this is not a choice. This is desperation. And that should that's in you know in 2020 in a developed country that should that that's disgraceful that women are feeling so desperate that they're having to go into debt to get care that they not only that they deserve but that they have probably contributed towards through their taxes in the past And I think, you know, sort of as, um, you know, as marvellous as the NHS can be for acute situations, you know, in emergencies, unless we tack, unless somebody is brave enough to say that, you know, this isn't just a knowledge gap, this is a knowledge chasm that is affecting, it's affecting women, it's affecting their families, it's having a knock-on effect to employment, it's having a knock-on effect to relationships, it's having a knock-on effect to the cost to the NHS, to GP time. You know, I've counselled GPs in the past who have told me that they are so overwhelmed by the demand for their services that they are either going part-time or they're going to leave the service. So basically, we're losing a professional that has probably spent several years training, that funding has gone into training, and we lose them because we're not equipping them with the right information. Imagine if, so so imagine, um, you know, you work for a defence company. Mm-hmm. Imagine that you had not had the right training and that you were not able to fulfill part of your job or you made a mistake because you didn't have the right training. Like that's that would be that would be a massive issue in your organisation. Yeah, it'd be a huge pressure on me and a huge pressure on them. So my you know, my question is. Why are we not giving GPs the information and the education that they deserve too? They deserve to have the right education to be able to deal with a common issue 
that is going to affect every woman. Why are we not doing that? And every time we raise it, in fact, next time we do a podcast, we'll talk about the letter that I've just had from the Royal College of Obs and Gynae again. Sorry, the Royal College of GPs. Um, every time we raise it, I get told, but it's in the and menopause is in the curriculum and GPs have to show competence in their exams. And my answer to that is if it's in the curriculum, it's in many cases, it's being ignored completely because I know lots of GPs who've never learned anything about it. And if you're telling me that GPs have to show competence, then my suggestion would be that your levels of competence need to rise through the roof because yeah. thousands of women around the country are telling me that essentially they are educating their GPs by taking in things that they've downloaded off of the internet to be able yeah. to try and get the right help. And that's not fair to the women, but it's not fair to the GPs either. No. No, countless women that I speak to say that they have to go in with the nice guidelines, with a GP prescription guide, with every bit of information, and they leave it with their GP to just to be able they actually sit there and basically tell them what they need mm. I mean um, I've you know I've had I have to say you know kind of there things are definitely all this you know kind of all this shouting and screaming and lobbying and you know um campaigning there there are glimmers of hope <laughs> um but they are very I'm an impatient person and there are very <laughs> small glimmers of hope you know I in the last in the last two weeks, um, I have had letters from GPs that I have written to after I've done consultations with women and I've written to them outlining the symptoms these women are experiencing, why they're related to menopause, the, you know, the common treatments that they could consider, why I would recommend transdermal rather than oral, blah, blah, blah. And would they, you know, I've asked the woman to make an appointment with them to talk about this. Um, and that I hope they don't mind me writing to them, but I'm sure that they want to do the best for this patient as I'm sure they do with all their others. And in the last two weeks, I have had two really lovely letters back from GPs saying, thank you very much. One of them asked if she could have a phone call with me to ask some more questions, which was absolutely lovely. It was a pleasure to talk to her. And the other one uh, wrote to me asking, could I answer this for him? Because he'd always wondered and he'd never understood why. So I wrote back. So that's really fantastic mm -hmm. that, you know, these GPs want to learn, but they shouldn't, again, you know, we shouldn't be putting them in a position where we're not equipping them to do their job for a very common issue that's going to walk into their practice probably on a daily basis. Yeah. There it's you go, just... that's that party political broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think the key message is if that anybody listening in that wants to, that recognises that change needs to happen, um, if they want to be part of that change and they can support the menopause network campaigns, how would they find, how could somebody go on and donate Diane? 
Um, so, well, first of all, Soph, I would love them if they haven't already to sign and share the campaign petition. So that's the Make Menopause Matter campaign. And if you feel minded, if you feel passionate that you want to be part of this, that you want to, you know, kind of get behind us, then you can find both the campaign petition and the link to the fundraiser on the menopause support website. You'll also, if you don't want to go to an external link, you'll also find a donate button on the website, um, which is a PayPal button. So you can donate to us if you have a PayPal account or if you don't, it doesn't matter. You can donate to us via that too. But yeah, if you want to get involved um, and whatever you do, you know, um, please do share those things as well, because the more that we can share it, um, you know, the more that we can do, basically, the more signatures we have, the more support we have, the more that we'll be able to do in the coming year. Fabulous. And if so for our next podcast, we've decided to do a Q&A again, haven't we? Yes. Um, so if anyone has any questions they would like answered, you could um, pop them on our Instagram page, which is the Menopause Podcast or you can email us at hellomenopausepodcast at hotmail.com. Um, but in the meantime, we hope you all have a good week ahead. Absolutely. Um, and we hope we gave you a little chuckle at the beginning. We know it all got a bit serious going, <laughs> <laughs> going forward. But, hey, light and shade, that's what we need. Exactly. <laughs> have a Let's good take, week, everybody. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.